decide it all. What's up, everybody, and welcome back here on the Untimed Down. We're here to break down NFL's Week 15. Still got another game that's going to be unfolding, but, you know, with Christmas and everything coming up, times can be hectic. So we're going to break down the games that happened this weekend, and we got a lot to break down from crazy upsets to really crazy plays. And a lot of crazy implications. Casey, what's up? Not much. I mean, from wins that you can define as losses and games that went the complete opposite way. I mean, this was beyond an interesting week, but really shapes what the future could hold for some of these franchises. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I mean, I felt like at times we were in bizarro world, honestly. Um we we saw a lot of games kind of look like they were going a certain way. And then, like, if you change the channel, you'll miss, like, a totally different game because it felt like the tale of two halves, honestly. But that's uh, for us to break down in this. And uh, I look forward to it. I, I can't believe that we're pretty much now going to be two weeks left of the season. It feels like it just started yesterday. So uh, I'm excited. This is probably my favorite time of the year, but... I'm looking forward to breaking this down. So um, I'll let you take the lead here, with uh, starting with the Thursday game. All right, sounds good. Uh, well, let's first talk about the most well-deserving rookie of the year, in my opinion. That is Justin Herbert. Uh, I mean, absolutely amazing game. Really helped drive the uh, drive the uh, Chargers into that win. Quite frankly, you know, the D definitely helped, um, and finally, kind of did. The one thing that people are arguing is like, oh, well, you know, with this big win against a actual winning team, you know, should Anthony Lynn be on the chopping block? And I personally say, yeah, you know, it's he hasn't really shown what it means to be the coach that these uh, Chargers need. And um, I don't think I don't think this still makes a case for him uh, at the end of the season, but it's still a good win. Um, on the other hand, you have Las Vegas that um, after the first quarter, you know, Mariota comes in, and he was actually probably the guy that they needed for this game. Um, I think he's a good option to uh, fall back on. But the thing that I do want to highlight, and I think we talked about it last week, is uh, how bad Vegas has looked. Coming into this game, well, at the end of this game, they're now 1-4 in, in their last five. And one of those games was that fluke... Uh, Hail Mary but, uh, against the Jets. So, realistically, they should be 0-5 in their last five, which pretty much all but seals their uh, chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, and it's pretty much a far cry from a team that started 6-3 uh, and three on the year and kind of looked like almost, in a way, a shoe-in to make the playoffs, honestly. Um, they're the only team to beat the Chiefs this year, and they almost did it twice. So... Coming into this game, and we both picked the Raiders, um, the Chargers kind of cooled off a little bit. They got blown out bad by New England. It seemed like they uh, kind of hit a wall, and they were just mailing it in for the year. But credit to them for coming out and uh, being resilient and actually fighting for something. And Vegas, I mean, this was a heartbreaker, to be honest with you, because I'd say they got outplayed 
for most of this game. And realistically, they probably should have won at the end. They had their opportunities and just couldn't capitalize in the uh, goal-to-go situation. And um, like you said, Justin Herbert, I think this might have been the game where he, you know, basically took full control of the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. Um, Had a couple weeks where it got close between him and Jefferson, but I think after this week, um, I think it's Justin Herbert's award to lose. And, I mean, for the Raiders, this was as demoralizing a defeat as you could possibly get now because they fall to 7-7, and still technically mathematically alive, but they need help and they need a win out. And it just so happens that they have Miami coming to town on Saturday night, who right now controls their own destiny. So I, I think that the Raiders are, you can pretty much stick a fork in them. You know, I think that, and their defense is a problem. Their defensive coordinator was fired after this game and it looked promising. Like they picked up some guys in the off season and they look to be, you know, showing some promise it would appear but i think that the defense definitely needs to be addressed in the offseason i think there's going to be a lot of questions honestly and uh i don't know what the future holds for gruden and company but in my eyes it's on to 2021 for them yeah if there's any good thing to see from this game though and no offense to Derek Carr, but it's a game that the state of hawaii really wants because Coming into next week, you have Marcus Mariota going up, up against uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa. I always miss up that name. But you know what? The entire state of Hawaii will be tuning in for that single football game. And on a Saturday night, can't ask for anything better. I know. People, people will still be... Uh, <laughs> Coming off the day after Christmas, people will be uh, sitting home enjoying some nice cookies. I mean, actually, I don't know if uh, in Hawaii they like cookies or not, but we'll <laughs> we'll just go with that they do. Um, Co- coconut uh, cookies, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll kick off this next game, which what can I say about the Bills, man? I've been rocking with these guys since August, and they just keep proving me right. I'm so happy to see that they've won their first uh, division title in 25 years. New England is vanished from our sights for at least one year. All right, so that's nice. I think all of America, at least outside of Boston, can uh, get behind this. Um, And Buffalo, man, and I said this too. I said that their defense was going to pull it together, and they're starting to. We're starting to see the defense from the last couple seasons. I think that the slow start, really had a lot to do with the crazy offseason um, and lack of training camp and preseason. And on both sides of the ball, they're just firing on all cylinders. Josh Allen, on a national stage for the third week in a row, put on a showcase. I think that Josh Allen deserves a serious consideration for MVP. He's easily top three right now. Um, and... They haven't even had John Brown playing for them. No, which is, oh, God, once he comes in. That's a 1,000-yard receiver from a year ago, right? So you add him to this mix. They got Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, who are both, um, you know, 
killing it. They both had 100 yards receiving this game. And um, Buffalo right now looks scary. I'd say that they're top three team in the league right now, arguably top two. I could make an argument that they are better than any team in the NFC right now. And honestly, where things currently stand, them versus Kansas City in the AFC Championship seems inevitable. And I think Buffalo is all in this year. I don't think they're thinking about years down the line. I think that they're thinking Super Bowl this year. So, and just some quick comments about Denver. I had a lot of promise for them coming into the year. I had them actually pegged as my number seven in the AFC. Drew Locke has been raising some serious questions and whether or not he's actually the answer because I've seen him make some terrible reads this year. I've seen him eye down receivers, and he actually had at least four picks that should have been in this game that weren't because Buffalo just simply dropped them. Um, and it, it was just kind of an ugly performance all around from uh, Denver's passing attack. Yeah, and... Um... I 100% agree with you. Um, AFC Championship game, Buffalo, no doubt. Pro- definitely against Kansas City. Don't at me because you can't because I don't have Twitter. Thank God. <laughs> but um, defensive light work, man. Like, this defense is bringing back some, like, serious credit from a few years ago. And we might actually possibly see over the next few years a build – team that is very similar to that of the um, early and mid 90s you know mm. which which is really really good as long as they keep keep you know their head on straight and keep looking forward uh it's gonna be big i have to give denver some credit defensively um if you would say okay well they got blown out by 48 but keep in mind that they're down five corners they're down five corners that is a I mean, you're pretty much playing with the practice squad against a team that has obviously excelled so well. But um, the biggest story for Denver is Drew Locke. Uh, after coming out last weekend, going against all odds, Drew Locke finds himself back to normal. And unfortunately, normal is not good. One of the things that I have discussed with a few people before is that John Elway is so good – at drafting everything but a quarterback, and uh, which is ironic given his uh, status as the greatest Bronco of all time. Uh, people will be like, oh, but what about Peyton Manning? It's like, no, Peyton Manning was a cult. Let's be serious. Um, <laughs> but quite frankly, you know, that being removed, um, Drew Locke really, it's, it's they have to look into this season. Quite frankly, I would imagine them going second or third round, just getting another uh, quarterback to develop behind Locke so that they have something else to fall back on because I don't imagine him being in the league much longer. Uh, I could actually see a scenario in which Denver potentially trades for Carson Wentz or I mean, Mitch Trubisky, I don't know what the Bears are going to do. Uh, he's actually scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the year. I could see them going in a route similar to that, honestly. Yeah, and um, obviously they still have a little bit of work to do with that line. Um, it's not the same line that came up and backed up uh, Peyton Manning, their second Super Bowl around. But uh, it's still, uh, it's besides that, the QB position certainly needs to be addressed. 
Um, but right. on the other hand, the team that does not need QB issues, but definitely some, something surprising with the line, Packers-Panthers. Um, Aaron Jones helped a lot this game because if it wasn't for Aaron Jones, this game would have actually been a Panthers win. This pass protection, first time all season, looked dreadful. Five sacks. Um, most of the plays were checked, uh, checked down screens because he couldn't get the ball out. Um, I mean, I don't know what happened because they've looked so good this entire season. But um, Green Bay still, you know, grinded it out. Um, the, the reason for that, I think, was because Carolina had such a sloppy first half. Um, but the um, b- biggest benefit for them was DJ Moore. Um, coming back and the impact that he had. Um, Carolina is one of those teams that without injuries and with a little bit more head space, um, they, they would probably be a playoff caliber team. We talked about this last week. But uh, I'm not the only person who saw that. The ownership did with because I believe today they fired their GM. Right, yeah. Because, uh, I mean – uh, who is it? Rule is their coach, correct? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, they pretty much said, we want our coach and GM to be on the same level. Uh, Matt Rule is definitely doing the right things that he needs to, but someone else isn't acting appropriately. Hey, could you imagine how scathing those words are to hear? Like, you, you got fired because your president lost faith in who you are because he recognized that the coach was doing that well instead of you? That is a... Uh, t- that is a tough thing, and hopefully Carolina makes some good executive decisions to further their abilities next year. I think that the thing to point out here is that if you would have watched the game in the first half, right, and you see like what's how it's unfolding and the score and whatnot, and you shut it off, you right then and there in the first half, you're expecting, okay, the Packers are going to win this in a blowout. You come to find out that the Packers, I believe, only scored three points in the second half. Rodgers had 143 yards passing, right? One thing to consider is that the Panthers actually had, like, the ball at the goal line in the first half, and Teddy Bridgewater lunged for uh, QB sneak and had the ball punched out. If that goes an opposite way, this game's totally different. That You take probably a touchdown off the board for the Packers, and the Panthers have an extra one, and the Panthers win. Not only that, but the offensive line just completely unraveled. And the thing that scares me, and it's definitely got to scare Packer fans, is that Carolina coming into this game had absolutely no pass rush, and their defense just was looking like complete garbage. Like the week before, they got absolutely picked apart by Denver's offense, right? Yeah. At home, in Carolina. So. I think that this is a little bit concerning for Green Bay, especially being at Lambeau as well. And I think that we saw a little bit of last year's Packers down the stretch rear their ugly head in that they play one half of football then kind of limp through the second half. We kind of saw that in a lot of their games last year, and that's what led to a lot of people saying that the Packers aren't complete and they can't play four quarters, right? That, that happened the same thing in the Seattle playoff game last year when they had a great first half and then just kind of like held on for dear life in the second. Um, and this is going to be interesting to see if, because I mean, they have no real time to 
look ahead because they got a huge game with Tennessee coming into town this week. And Chicago, in Chicago, Week 17, who's got their own resurgence going on here, and they still have something to fight for. So, And they're your division rivals, so they're not going to lay down for you, of course. So, hey, and they got you know what they bring to the table in terms of their pass rush with uh, Khalil Mack and uh, former Cowboy Robert Quinn and that D-line. So, interesting plot line to follow, but Green Bay does what they're supposed to, and they hold on. And now if we're talking about teams that are doing what they're supposed to, we're not sure what category the Dallas Cowboys fall under. But at least for this week, uh, <laughs> they did what they were um, supposed to do because they technically, with a little bit of help with the Washington football team losing and a win, the Cowboys have something to play for heading into week 16 of this season. And now if you would have told me at the start of the year heading into week 16, the Cowboys would be 5-9 and nine with – no Dak and no Zeke playing the San Francisco 49ers. The game would have got flexed out. The 49ers are also 5-8 um, uh, coming into the game. I would have left. Um, Dallas, I got to say, their defense has been getting some serious turnovers the last couple of weeks, albeit against you know maybe some subpar competition in terms of offense. But you still got to respect the threat of – Kyle Shanahan and his play calling because he really did kind of dial it up. I think that the 49ers actually outgained the Cowboys yardage wise by a pretty decent amount. Um, but I think the biggest story coming out of this game is what did the Cowboys maybe do forward with Zeke Elliott? Because Tony Pollard has, in my eyes, outplayed Zeke kind of this year, all things considered. I know maybe yardage wise, Zeke's actually got, I believe, like in the 700s. Um, but Tony Pollard has shown some more um, juice consistently than Zeke and actually has given the Cowboys more of a spark than Zeke has. So I think that at this moment in time, maybe the Cowboys made the wrong decision paying Zeke the way they did. Yeah. And, um, Personally, I think they get, should be giving Pollard the start. He just looks more explosive, especially coming, you know, coming to the outside. His lateral uh, agility just looks so good. He's he looks like Zeke come coming out of the, um, you know, maybe on the sweeps, like Zeke did in 2017, 2016, you know, where he just came out like a bat out of hell, but um. <clears throat> The big thing for me, and we, we can talk about how nasty this line is, and Olgan Smith just coming back after four years looking like a goddamn like champion. But let's talk about all the injuries this defense has just keeps suffering. They keep suffering. You know, Lane Vanderesh again, pretty much Sean Lee 2.0. Um, and, you know... Seeing, uh, I think Xavier Woods got hurt. Um, uh, I'm forgetting the um, our uh, tackle, defensive tackle, right now that got injured as well. Um, it's not, it's not a good look for the Cowboys that, that you know might be trying to vie for the playoffs, but they definitely have to win out. It's guaranteed they have to win out, and with um, the small defensive injuries against a now. Kind of hot-looking uh, Eagles. It's going to be a tough call coming into next week. 
But on the San Francisco side, no matter how good Kyle Shanahan is, there's one question I have for him. Why are you still starting Mullins? He has looked like pure trash, and I'm I'm trying to say this in the nicest way, and I love I will always have a love-hate relationship with San Francisco. You as a Seahawks fan, me just because of the history between Dallas and San Francisco, but I respect that franchise so much. Why are you starting with your um with a guy that honestly doesn't deserve to start? He hasn't shown any semblance of good play calling. He looks confused and, quite frankly, just poor taste out there. Um, the defense is really what's carrying this 49ers team, which is good. I mean, you, you have to be grateful that the defense is still holding the way it is. But San Francisco has some things that they have to look at coming into the next season. And just like uh, the Broncos, I think it's that QB position. Yeah, I agree. But um, I want you to actually take this next one because this is a this is a f- fun game to talk about. I think. Yeah, I actually picked against my uh, team against my uh, better judgment coming into the game, and I feel like more or less, rightfully so, at least coming in. Right, um, I wasn't led to believe otherwise that we would win this game. Um, the thing that really both shockingly but pleasantly surprised me was how our offensive line held up against their pass rush. We allowed zero sacks, and we were down a right tackle. Like, I'm just thoroughly stunned as to how this was the case. Um, I think that credit must go to the Seahawks for at least the game plan. We did get a little conservative towards the end, but I think that we neutralized their pass rush and did what we needed to do and made just enough plays in order to win. And what can I say about the defense, man? Granted, Alex Smith didn't play, but Washington's not really a juggernaut offense to begin with, but they don't make a lot of mistakes when Smith's in the lineup. I am so impressed with how the defense has turned this thing around, honestly. Like, Carlos Dunlap, man, what a trade. Jamal Adams, what a trade. These guys have just been playing their hearts out for these guys. Carlos Dunlap now has two game-winning sacks for us in just, I think, maybe six games, five games that he's played for us. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with how the defense is playing. We're getting guys back now. Uh, Rashad Penny's back after a year being out just we're, the rich is getting richer in terms of our backfield. It's a complete 180 from where we were, were a year ago, right? Yeah. Look, look at the last two weeks of the season. We had no running backs. We had to get Marshawn Lynch off the street and put in a uniform for week 17. That's how bad it got for us. So to see that is very reassuring. We're getting Josh Gordon back, but big game coming up this week that we'll get into later on. Um coming up this week where a lot's on the line um but on the washington front they lost but i feel like they could have afforded a loss here um they are still in very good position i feel like to win their division um obviously they control their own destiny and i mean they had dwayne haskins starting but i think this game is pretty much living proof that dwayne haskins is not the answer long term and um they kind of made it 
little bit of a silly uh, decision to pick him so early a couple years ago. So that's pretty much my take there. Happy with the win, and I'm looking forward to what's next for my team, which is Week 16, Divisional Championship, more or less, against the Rams. Yeah, and uh, you pretty much highlight all the points I wanted to cover. I mean, pass protection against the Washington front four, which um, we've discussed, is definitely the best front four in the NFL, no doubt. I don't. I think if I think any defensive coordinator wants those front four on their team, no matter who they have on their team currently. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing to talk about is how good this defense has improved. Uh, quite frankly, even from the beginning of the season. You know, it's, it, they just keep getting better, and it's impressive. And even if they took an L sometime in the next two games um, against, I mean, especially the next game, there's, it's a possibility, but it's a good offense you're playing against over there. Um, you, you can still make an argument that they at least have some momentum going into the fact that they could probably make the NFC Championship if they play, if that, if that pass protection holds up like they did and that defense plays as well as they have. Um, same thing with Haskins. Haskins underperformed. Um, quite frankly, it's kind of disappointing, but we know that the QB situation in Washington really has, quite frankly, been poor since even Kyle Shanahan was there. Um, which I mean is how long ago now? Probably like six years ago. Yeah, that was, I think, uh, that was RG3's last, uh, um, RG3's uh, coach, right? I, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the defense was quiet, quite frankly. And um, it's not a good look, especially when you want to seal off a single – if they won that single game, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with all the other teams losing besides the Cowboys, they would have actually sealed off both the Cowboys and the Eagles from making the uh, playoffs. If we, so, But now with that, you know, it's, it's going to be even harder on them coming into this. Uh, week 16 um, it's going to be kind of kind of interesting to see the NFC East play out when the what quite frankly will be the greatest worst division um, for uh, for the lack of a better term in the NFL uh, we can definitely see a 6 and 10 uh, champion and I'm excited <laughs> excited to see that <laughs> but with, with that being said uh, let's talk about the Bears Vikings, and I know you are super hyped for your Bears um, to. I keep saying your Bears, but it's like you just speak so highly about them. But you're loving how Mitch Trubisky is just kind of stepping up. It's just Montgomery again. Oh my God, 300 yard games in four weeks out of nowhere. And then the fourth down defense looked incredible against Minnesota. And the biggest thing is that they Minnesota can't click at times, click together. Uh, you see that with Justin Jefferson getting frustrated at, um, you know, getting frustrated when he was calling for a pass and, you know, just starts like, come on, man, type deal. Um, and it's, I, I just think they're slightly out of sync, which comes at the worst time. And um, I'm pretty sure their playoff chances are all but gone. But on the plus side, I know last week we ripped into Dan Bailey. Um, and 
rightfully so. Uh, he looked awful, but we also acknowledge the fact that his injuries really have taken a lot out of him. He looked very, very good this week. He nailed all of his kicks. I do want to say I'm not here to – as much as I like to make fun of players and all that, it's a part of the game, and it's a hard part of the game. You know, you're looking at players that the average NFL player lasts only two and a quarter seasons in the NFL. So you'll have names that, you know, two, three years will be just moments, a, a blip in the history of whatever team. So, you know, Dan Bailey, I'm glad that you found your oats again and was able to come out and at least make something of this game. Um, but congratulations to the Bears for the win. You know, if you would have heard me talk on this uh, podcast of ours, you'd think that the Bears are like my adopted dog. Um <laughs> And and the funny part about it too is like we in the very beginning of this thing the Vikings were more or less kind of like my Bears the way they are now not as heavy but I did predict the Vikings to run the table and make the playoffs which going into last week it kind of looked like they would but it's just the, the Vikings inconsistencies and lack of talent right now on defense they haven't had Daniil Hunter all year they've pretty much been without Anthony Barr all year. Um, so they've just got very limited talent on the side of the ball. And it's almost like a far cry because the Vikings during like majority of, uh, Zimmer's tender, uh, tenure as, um, Vikings coach have been defensive oriented. So it's definitely a far cry. And I think they got to very much so address the, uh, defense in the off season. But what can I say about Chicago with Mitch Trubisky? Over the last four weeks that he's started, they're averaging 32 points a game, right? He's now four and two as the starter for them. And, I mean, as much as it's crazy to say, I mean, if he never got benched, we're probably looking at them as a potential 10 and 4 team right now. Because you look you go down the list of how many games that they lost so close and it was because of Nick Foles and that offense. You look at the first Minnesota game, should have been theirs. The Saints game was theirs for the taking and Foles gave it away. The Colts game, if Trubisky's there, they probably win. So many tight games due to inefficient quarterback play that doomed them. The Bears are contending for the NFC North come week 17 with the Packers right now if Mitch Trubisky isn't benched. There would be an NFC North de facto championship game at Soldier Field in a couple weeks if Mitch Trubisky never got benched. And I think that this is very encouraging because this is all with a pretty crappy old line that's actually kind of picked it up a little bit. You know, I don't know if it's because of... um, play calling or what, but David Montgomery, they look like they might have a new cornerstone running back. Um, And Mitch Trubisky is playing for his job right now. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He might have just earned himself, um, depending on how this thing finishes out, another at least at the minimum year in Chicago. And I think that maybe upgrading their offensive line in the offseason, they're very not – they're very much so not far off from being a um, shoe-in to make the playoffs come uh, coming years. So they got Jacksonville next week. You got to win that. And 
looking at the statistics and what they said, if the Cardinals and them finish with the same record, the Bears um, take the spot. So this is very much alive, and I can't wait to see it. I'm hoping for it. So. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads into uh, a lot of hope because for this next one, you and I share similar uh, sentiments, which is the Dolphins and uh, Patriots. What a gutsy win by the Dolphins to finally stick the dagger and just turn the knife that is the page inside the Patriots right now and just completely evaporate their playoff hopes and do everyone a favor and rid us of New England for at least this year. The Dolphins kind of shorthanded on offense. They came in without Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, Mike Jasicki, and they found a way to win on the back of their defense and surprisingly their running game that kind of stepped up. This is full credit to their coaching, and what a win for the Dolphins to now hold on to that seven seed, and they control their own destiny. If they could get these offensive guys back, which it kind of looks like a good chance that they will, it's in their hands. Now, I don't know. Week 17 will be tough. I mean, the Raider game is not going to be easy, but all things considered, the Dolphins have their shot now to make the playoffs. They're probably going to have to win out because the Ravens are breathing down their neck, which I hope that uh, Miami could pull through, but what a job by Miami. And um, hopefully they could finish the season off by clinching a playoff berth. At least for another week, they've got their seventh seed. So remains to be seen. Yeah, and I mean, Xavier Howard, again, okay, you're going to be like, oh, he got another interception? No, forced fumble. Doesn't matter. He can do everything. Wait, did he make the Pro Bowl? Yes, he did. Is this a Pro Bowler on the Miami Dolphins? Yes, it is. How is the world going to deal with it? By watching this Dolphins team in the next few years and Brian Flores take him to the top and then possibly lose the Super Bowl. Who knows? But <laughs> quite frankly, Xavier Howard has looked, and just the defense as a whole, has looked amazing. Uh, for, I do want to give props to Tua. Um, Bill Belichick is historically known as the rookie killer. He always has a good game plan against rookies, and he survived. He survived Belichick. Um, you know, it's not it's not one of those things that we can, uh, you know, put down. Because at its core, no matter how bad the uh, Patriots are, um, right now, they still have a coach that can make a game plan. With you, you, you can have a uh, you can have a uh, table full of pawns, and he'll still manage to put you in checkmate. So. Um, low-key, that was, and this is for everyone out there, that is probably the greatest reference I've ever said on this podcast. So uh, hit the like and subscribe button or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But for the Pats, uh, first playoff miss in years, um, it's devastating. And hopefully Robert Kraft doesn't make some uh, excessive decisions because this Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. He sacrificed this year is a sacrificial year for the five years of amazing effort that they've put into New England. But the biggest story, I think, coming out of this game is the Stephon Gilmore injury. Because um, mm-hmm. keep in mind, he's going to be a free agent. So he's, he's, yeah. he's, on, he's on the wrong side of 30. So. Wrong, wrong side of 30. K 
came off of last year as a uh, 2019 Defensive Player of the Year. This year has underperformed uh, in certain v- values, but this injury just takes him from having still probably being a double-digit million uh, trade or like being picked up to having almost no trade capital. Um, and it's 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 gonna be a it's gonna be tough for him. More, I think the Patriots lost a lot in potential trade capital, but I think it's even worse with um, him being injured. And it's probably gonna be limit the amount of time he plays coming into next few years. Um, it's gonna be hard, at least for him as a defender to come off of this. Uh, I just want to point something out. Every year that I've been a football fan, I've been a football fan since. 2009, right? So every year that I've been a football fan, 11 years, I guess now, 10, 11, um, New England's been in the playoffs. So crazy. It's just crazy. But, you know, I'll, uh, I'll let you jump into uh, this next game now, which kind of coincides now with the what we are just talking about, which is the seventh seed. Yeah, um, the offense making it click. I mean, Ravens. Ravens made a statement uh, win co- about going into the playoffs. Like if they clinch the playoffs, and they ca- carry the same momentum from this game, we might actually see a different uh, Ravens team compared to last year. Um, I'm glad to see the offense click together. Uh, Lamar Jackson probably just got suffered the curse of Madden, um, and. Quite frankly, it's interesting to see that they still have at least some momentum. Um, the one thing I do want to talk about Jacksonville, though, um, this is their 13th straight loss. They actually won their opening game, which actually ties their, uh, which ties um, their record. And coming into next week, which is definitely, uh, definitely going to be a hard one to win. It's um. You know, you might see them have a new personal record for their own. But we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to talk about how this loss also is their biggest win. And I am so excited to talk about that. And, oh, man. Let's not spoil it for everyone, for the people who do not know. Because there's probably people who don't know and don't understand how this absolute devastating loss to the Ravens is their biggest win of the season. <laughs> yeah, and um, something I just want to point out quick for the Ravens, uh, we won't spend too much time on this game that already hasn't been uh, known or said. We oftentimes see the teams that win the Super Bowl are the teams that get hot right at the end. And the Ravens are looking hot right now. And they, if they get into the playoffs and sneak in, they could actually be dangerous, you know? They're basically the complete opposite from a year ago. They were the top dogs, and um, everybody was kind of uh, nipping at their toes. And now it's the complete opposite. Um, now they're going to be potentially sneaking up on some of these other teams when they're kind of just in the rear view right now. So that those are the teams that are usually the most dangerous, is the ones you don't see coming. So, hey, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but... I'll uh, reserve my judgment. Um, so let, let me uh, break down this next one here by saying Atlanta. Oh, my God, Atlanta. He did it again. 
And and it pains me to say it because for all intents and purposes, Atlanta on paper is a playoff team. Like, and they just cannot I don't know if it's the stigma, what they eat for breakfast in the morning. It's like it's like the Ouija board, you know? Like they gotta relieve the curse or something because there's very much so a curse within Atlanta right now that they just need to perform like an exorcism or something. Like, hire a priest. I don't know what you got to do. But there is something lingering in Atlanta that just they cannot break free of. And another heartbreaking, blown loss. And the only positive I could take from this is that Calvin Ridley is looking like a legit stud. And, yeah, he is a legit cornerstone receiver for them, potentially, now. Um, And... They gotta just Atlanta's just gonna blow things up. I don't know if that means uh, to entirely on the offense, but at least on the defensive side of the ball, you just gotta like completely overhaul it. Um, and yeah, t- Tampa Bay kind of just gets by again and survives. So, uh, well, I'm gonna throw out a lot of statistics for my uh, for I keep saying my our lovely listeners. So. The last time Tom Brady had a comeback win was against the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51. For those that do not know, the score was 28-34 New England. Since the Super Bowl, Atlanta's record is 28-34 and now with this loss, which makes it even better. But let's talk about more statistics. This is the fourth game Atlanta has played where they had a 95% chance to win or higher during at any point during the game. They So they blew, theoretically, four of probably the top 25 highest chances of, to win in history in one season. Let's get even into some deeper statistics. Um... You have three players currently on this uh, very underrated and not talked about defense of Buccaneers, right? You're looking at uh, Devin White, Shaquille Barrett, and Jason Pierre-Paul. All three of them have eight or more sacks and all have uh, 50 or more tackles. You know, uh, Devin White, being the inside linebacker, has tons. He's at 130, typically seen at a linebacker position typically had most most of the tackles but um jpp and uh barrett having 50 and 54 respectively plus combined having nearly uh 20 25 and a half sacks this is a defense that shouldn't be you know talk you know put down a little bit um but the most important statistic and i don't know if it's a statistic if more than a fact, but Tom Brady is a bad, bad man. <laughs> there is no way to put it. Uh, Tom Brady for Atlanta um, is just the Atlanta killer. And if you live in the uh, Macon, Atlanta, um, anywhere in Georgia, you are within your own personal, um, you know, personal reason to hate this guy. 100 <laughs> percent 
there's no there's no other way to put it. Like this is it's insane. Another another comeback. There's twenty four seven, and then they come back and they win it. 31-27. Like, come on. Come on. You can't and you can't even blame the coach anymore. It's a different coach. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, let's talk about um let's talk about um uh, this Tennessee Lions game. Um Detroit still coming out with such amazing spirit. Um, but I want to talk about uh, how Derrick Henry is an elite company. He's only one of four running backs to rush for 1,500 yards and uh, 15 touchdowns in back-to-back seasons. Uh, only one of four. Well, I'm actually surprised there's four of them, but that's that's pretty crazy when you think about that. Like, Henry is still the number one back in the league. Um, and Titans, it's TCOB, man. Taking care of business. You know, they just get in, they destroy, they get out. Um, Detroit looked good um, at certain points. I mean, Stafford, Stafford, like I've said before to you, um, on any other team, Stafford is an MVP. Um, It's hard because you have – you look at Stafford and he's like, okay, they drafted to try and – build the team around him, uh, build, you know, have him pull the team up. But the thing is, you can only pull the team up so much with one player. Um, and you, you got to love the spirit. The one thing I do want to talk about, if people get to watch the highlight, Derrick Henry stiff-armed um, a player on the Lions and sent him back to the shadow realm. Uh, but the problem with that, this is that, and I do want to highlight this, um, Another issue, just like Denver, um, the guy that he stepped on is a player named Alex Myers, right? He was picked up for the practice squad. Not even picked up for the main squad, from the practice squad. He was he was actually picked up for the practice squad a month ago. So, wow. that, so that defense has really, their injuries have taken to the point where a guy who was on the practice squad, of, who was picked up for the practice squad, is now playing... Uh, is playing rounds in, for this defense. So you can't really blame Detroit for getting steamrolled by such a dominant offense when their defense has such, you know, such lacking depth. You know, it's... Yeah. The two things that I just mainly want to talk about is Matthew Stafford's just... What a guy. I mean, he was playing with I don't remember the exact injury but something with a rib cartilage that he opted to play for or play through with absolutely nothing on the line and that if that just doesn't show you like the type of player and uh just man that he is putting it on for his city and I think he said it even best himself um that's that's why he's here because he's quarterback of the Detroit Lions like I, I hope that he can just I don't know I don't know if it's going somewhere else. I just hope that he could, you know, get some type of clarity by the time he uh, wraps up his career. And um, another thing coming out of the Tennessee thing, it's not Derrick Henry. It's not Tannehill. It's not Brable. It's not A.J. Brown. It's not their defensive pass rush. It's actually Corey Davis, who I, who I believe is the unsung hero of this football team. All the talk about Tannehill, how great of a coach they have, 
how AJ Brown's a monster, but Corey Davis is the unsung hero of this football team, and he's actually going to be a free agent at the end of this year. And he's actually opposite of AJ Brown, got his own thousand yard season quietly, and he made one of the sickest plays in this game when he caught just an absolute bomb and turned the guy around twice when the guy went to tackle him. Just made him look silly. So Tennessee has got a potent offense. I'm pretty sure they actually have the number one ranked offense in the NFL, correct me if I'm wrong right now, um, in terms of like overall um, production. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at at least a top two, top three run game, probably only matched by um, Cleveland. And then their, I mean, their passing is probably top three, top five. So, yeah. yeah. So they they got the experience now. They got the, you know, coaching, and they're clicking. So they could beat anybody. I feel like in the playoffs. Um, the only thing is that concerns me is how well their defense can hold up, which, you know, well, I guess we'll have to see on that one. And speaking of defense, they're. Uh, fellow adversary who their defense keeps making plays at the most opportune time to help them out and save them. Darius Leonard with a punch out at the goal line to win them this game. Credit must go to the Colts for continuing. Jonathan Taylor has been balling out every single week and that defense keeps putting the team on their back. The offense pretty much had their way with um, Houston but credit must go to Houston for continuing to fight despite nothing to play for and despite the lack of, you know, weapons that are still intact here for Deshaun Watson. He made this a game, and you and I talked about this in-depthly in the offseason about how these AFC South games between the top three teams in that division were going to be fun. Granted, Houston isn't going to be uh, going anywhere this year, but they still made a game out of, all their games that they've played against the Titans and the Colts. Their game against the Titans went to overtime. It was a thriller. And then they've now taken the Colts to their limit twice. So these AFC South games still lived up to the hype. Um, but Houston, once again, falls short. Credit to the Colts, who now are 10-4, and four, who are tied at the top of the division with the Titans. And they both got huge games coming up this week simultaneously that we'll get into but yeah i mean the forest buckner played an outstanding game despite being only 70 percent they basically said he was 70 percent coming into this game and you wouldn't imagine that which just shows goes to show how prominent this defense plays and when they play they win um philip rivers got it done um but it's really the defense that just wins them this game's um, Houston, and I want to talk about that fumble at the end, because people forget that what was it two or three weeks ago they played, um, Texans played Indy, and that was where it was a miss snap from their center where they lost the fumble then while they were pretty much on the goal line, and lost that game as well. So realistically, could we could argue and say Indy's defense has played well, but the Texans have just keep screwing up and the problem for me is you, on any other team this we could argue we could we could talk about how great josh allen's doing how great uh with the exception of this week um aaron Rodgers is doing patrick mahomes having another career year um but 
on any other team, Deshaun Watson would probably also be in the MVP running um, this year because he looked like it at the beginning of the season, and then the team just crumbled around him. Uh, the t- tight ends are a saving grace. Thank God he has tight ends that actually can catch the ball uh, because it, since they've lost so many of the receivers, they've gone to um, um, that 12 personnel that I talked about one uh, last week or two weeks ago, um, and they, they're constantly cycling out their tight ends, and they're probably their main receivers now. Hate to say it, but good. At least they're adapting. But if I'm JJ Watt, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I am absolutely hating this year. Um, and because we're just not getting it done, and it's all losses that are super close, and just just get away from them, and it's just devastating. Um, but on it, on the other hand, let's talk about a team that, um. They're getting wins that uh that they're they're managing to come away with wins that they kind of sometimes shouldn't. That's the Cardinals. Um, I know you love to hear me say that your NFC uh, West rivalries, but um, for you know, Kyle Murray had a great passing day. Actually, probably one of his best passing days in his career. Um, but um. The thing that hurt them was too many turnovers, man. Um, just across the board, they just gave up the ball too many times and um, just sloppy work. On the other hand, um, it sounds weird. Despite Kyler Murray having a great passing day, the Eagles' secondary actually looked good at times. Um, you would say, okay, that does not make sense. But the um, there were some really key plays, good punch-outs, and um, obviously um, – Turnovers that really helped them, um, helped them at times. And the re- I think the real discussion of this is Jalen Hurts. Um, uh, there's no way they go back to once after this. The the biggest crutch that they had to support on is like, okay, well, you know, he doesn't have the team to support him, and that makes sense. Philadelphia coming into this day, uh, in this game has an NFL record actually. They had 13 different line starting line changes in 14 games. The most ever was 12 in this entire season. Oh, yeah. So for all intent purposes, you can actually see we could see 14 or even 15 different line changes in 16 games. But and you can say, okay, well, there's so many drop passes, that's the other thing. But Jalen Hurts um, made a statement. Didn't they didn't win the game, but makes a statement for why he should be the starting quarterback. Um, he actually put up a stat line that um, in the sixty-eight games, I believe sixty-eight, sixty-nine games uh, that Carson Wentz has played, he put Carson Wentz had put up the same stat line or something around that once, and Jalen Hurts did it in two games. So we all knocked we all knocked Philly. At least I know I did, and a lot of people I talked to did knock Philly for picking up Jalen Hurts in the uh, second round. But that that might have actually been the thing they needed. Yeah, it's starting to look so. And we talked about the Cardinals. They're a playoff team as we speak, but a very flawed playoff team. Um 
yeah, this was a classic shootout between two young uh, gunslingers here that Cardinals, once again, the ever-so-opportunistic Cardinals that you could argue should, uh, instead of being, uh, what is it, 8 and 6 right now, you could even make an argument that they should be 5 and 8 right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, not that uh, a certain overtime game uh, a few months ago still uh, hurts here, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, you pretty much covered all bases. That um, the only takeaway now is that the Cardinals, um, currently locked in the seventh seed, but they still got to win out because the Bears are right on their heels and actually would hold the uh tiebreaker in terms of uh strength of schedule that would get them in if they end up with the same record. So, um, and Philly. They technically are still alive, but they're last in the division right now. And they got a big game with Dallas. But both the game could might not matter for either of them if Washington wins in the one o'clock window. So yeah. we'll we'll get on that. But I'll then uh I'll let you take this one. <laughs> oh my god. The Jets? Jets, it is, it is like basically stabbing yourself to, you know, tell the cops that someone assaulted you. Actually, they ju- they juicy smolied themselves. That is the number one reference I get through. They juicy small. You you had someone beat the living crap out of you, and you still lost. <laughs> but in this case, they won. The Jets won, and they lose the number one pick. And they lose the number one pick. And you can argue and say, okay, there has not been a number one pick that has been impactful. Unlike, you know, for quarterback, you can argue and say, all right, well, we'll look at Peyton Manning, look at Eli Manning. But since John Elway, those are the only two quarterbacks that have had such an impact on a team that they've won the Super Bowls. Like, and that's how much of an impact they've had. But to give up, who could potentially be one of the best quarterbacks. And this, I'm saying this as a Notre Dame fan who had to begrudgingly watch as Clemson ran us through the dirt this past uh, this past weekend. Um, the Jets match. You don't want to be zero. But here's the thing as well. Zero and 16 is only held by three teams historically in the NFL. But one in 16 is also only held by two teams. So, quite frankly, it's still just as bad, except this time you miss out on a exceptional quarterback who might make a huge impact on your team. Uh, I do not blame their um, outstanding left tackle, whose name I'm actually forgetting right now. Um, McKay, for being, yes. Um, I don't, I'm not upset for Makai for basically being like Jets fans need to shut up about this. Um, because at the end of the day, you are professional. You do not want to go zero and sixteen. Um, but um, there's a few things we learned from this game. Um, Sean McVay um, can have games that are just so completely outclassed that it makes you wonder why he's a head coach. Um, that the Rams can make mistakes, and too many of them, and that Frank Gore is still our pappy. And uh, I mean that man. He has what I think he got his hundredth touchdown this um, this weekend, mm-hmm. and which makes puts him in the elite company. 
Um, and I would not be surprised if he is still actively playing when his son comes up into the league. <laughs> well, uh, we talked uh, a little bit about the last uh, week or a couple weeks. Uh, we mentioned um, when covering uh, New-, New England and uh, the Rams about Sean McVay's uh, worst day of his life and uh, getting embarrassed. Well, we, I think we saw a little bit of the best of both worlds in that <laughs> regard uh, kind of happen here because – I think that you could make an argument that this might have been the worst day of his life and most embarrassing, even more so than that Super Bowl debacle. Um, wow. Like, I came on here last week and showed my ass, basically, it's saying that I wouldn't be shocked if this was a, blow, uh, a shutout in favor of the Rams, and then I was just completely wrong and whiffed on that. But, I mean, not, no, I, I can't really, you know, can't really fault me for it, and I'm not complaining either, but... Like I said multiple times, this team hinges on Jared Goff. Like, when he's off, they're way off. Like, swinging at, swinging at air. And when he's on, they're on, right? I don't know what to make of these guys. And I don't know where their head's at now. And which kind of scares me because <laughs> where their head is at matters a lot this coming week for me. Um you got. I got. There's either two ways to go about this now. Are the Rams going to come out pissed off and just take out their, uh, you know, wrath on my team? And is Aaron Donald just going to like suplex our entire offensive line at will? Um, <laughs> or, or is this just a loss that you just can't overcome? Like, because we see losses, you know, albeit one. Like just completely deflate a team, and I don't know where their psyche is going to be at after losing this game. I I do want to add. Um, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I do want to add something. Um, this was the third. Well, this was tied for the second. I guess you can argue or third. Um, biggest uh, upset wins in NFL history. Um, and to give you an idea, Jets actually hold. Half. This will hold three of the top six biggest comeback wins of all time. Um, but this one was at a plus 17 for the Rams. And I mean, they, they only lost by three, but they lost by three to what could, could have potentially been historically the worst Jets team. And that says a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, well, we'll uh, we'll leave it there, and uh, we'll cover this Knicks game now, which is on paper, in my opinion, I think a lot of people would agree with me. Game of the year, in terms of like tagline and headlines going into it, and what it means. And I'd say, all things considered, it lived up to the hype. Um, Kansas City. 8-0 and on the road this year. And they might not have to go on the road again until Super Bowl 50, uh, 55 if they make it there, which is probably uh, consensus-wise uh, everyone's prediction, um, which is impressive. You know, It's one thing to uh, be uh, undefeated in a certain area, but to be undefeated on the road and especially when you're the defending champs and you know everyone's gunning for you, that's a big deal. So, it's always said about Arrowhead being such a home field advantage and tough place to play, but the fact that Kansas City went undefeated on the road, and 
I just want to highlight these road victories weren't just like your standard road victories. They went on into Baltimore when the Ravens were 2-0, and beat the brakes off them. They went into Mile High, which is, you know, I know it's the Broncos, but it's still a division rival and tough place to play with the altitude and everything. Beat up on them. They won in Buffalo. Um, they won in Tampa Bay. And now they win in the Superdome when the Saints have everything on the line. And Breeze is there. So, impressive. But the thing that I want to point out here is actually, there's no moral victories. But all things considered, the Saints coming out of this game, this reminds me very so much of the Giants in their two Super Bowl wins of uh, this kind of generation. We saw both times when the 16-0 and Patriots in 2007 played the Giants week 17, and the Giants took them to their limit and just barely lost. And that was kind of like the catalyst for their Super Bowl run. And then we saw it again when the Packers were undefeated and ended up going 15-1. and The Giants took them to their limit and lost on a field goal, and then that was another catalyst, and they ended up seeing them and beating them. This kind of felt like this in a way, where the Saints lost, but like this is something that like maybe can like kind of like light a spark under them to where like if they see the Chiefs again, I'm not so sure that the Chiefs want to see the Saints again because they got off to a slow start in New Orleans and you know maybe a better start um, and having that kind of like knowing of playing them if they see each other again in the Super Bowl, we could be looking at a different outcome. I don't know, but. This was uh, something to maybe hang your head up or keep your head up, rather, if you're the Saints. Yeah, and um, defense played well on both sides. Um, uh, I don't know. Did you highlight the fumble? Oh, no, I didn't. I, I uh, do. Yeah, so I, I, for, the, for the listeners, please highlight probably what would have been the, uh, the uh, playbook discussion of the week. Right, so around the end of the half, Demarcus Robinson was uh, trying to make something happen, and he actually got the ball uh, knocked out of his hands and rolled all the way back into the end zone. I think it was Alec Anzalone, a linebacker. Um, pretty easy to make out because he's got the you know long, flowing uh, blonde hair. Um, he uh, went to dive on the ball, and he looked like he had it for a touchdown right before the end of the half. Would have been a 14-14 game uh, tied at halftime going in wasn't able to corral it, and it ends up going out of the back of the end zone. And people pointed it out that this was going to bite the Saints in the uh, ass kind of in the end of this game. And lo and behold, it did, because instead of going into the half 14-14, you went in 14-9. Five-point swing, and you lose by three. So plays like that, especially against a team like Kansas City, are just – the margin for error is so slim, and it just makes a difference that could seem so minuscule is just huge because of who you're playing, unfortunately. Yeah, and um, with that being said, um, despite the scoreline, I think the defense has played very well on both sides. Um, just obviously you're going against Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees, who, when I add, if Patrick Mahomes scores 5,000 yards this year, uh, which he's very close, uh, he will be the only quarterback besides Drew Brees to have two or more 5,000-yard seasons. Um, wow. So 
So, I mean, historically, look at this game. You're looking at some of the best quarterbacks. Brees, a future Hall of Famer. Patrick Mahomes, probably a huge future Hall of Famer. Um, but uh, I think the two things that we could walk away with this game is the New Orleans, for New Orleans. Brees definitely shouldn't have started. I think they should have gave him an extra week. Um, you know, you could make the arguments like, oh, well, he's feeling better. But it it did not – I don't think it look, would have looked any worse – under Taysom Hill, um, personally. And that says a lot. I think Brees should have had the extra week, sort of like uh, Daniel Jones, um, which we'll talk about, which I'll talk about next. But um, what's the biggest thing about this game is probably the biggest loss uh, for the Chiefs right now, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, right now, there's it says that he may have a hip and ankle injury. I could have swerved an ACL tear. Um, because of the way his leg extended, I uh, thought it was a hyperextension, hyperextension injury. But um, as of right now, there is a possibility he can be back for the playoffs. So, in a theoretical setup, even if he's out for the next three, four weeks, or even up to five weeks, um, he could still come back if the um, Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, but um. Besides that, definitely probably one of the best games of the year. Um, not just scoreline, but just a good back-and-forth game from two good teams. Um, but let's talk about actually what I think. I personally believe to be one of the best quarterback performances all year. Um, I know it's a bold statement to say, but Baker Mayfield, um, 85% on his passing, 300 yards, two touchdowns, but took control of this game. Well, you can say, okay, well, you're playing against the Giants, but the Giants' defense, the secondary, is not something to scoff at um, at times. And they looked really, you know, they had some good ideas, but um, Browns played well. QB played well. Um, run game actually did probably one of the smallest, worst run games for Cleveland this year. Giants did very good on that um, on that back end. Um they only held them to, I think, 105 total yards. With the run team that they have, you know, that's a huge benefit. But we've seen it. If the run game is not established in recent weeks, um, Baker Mayfield brings it forward. Um, and the one shout-out that I do want to give out to the Browns is this red zone defense. Um, you legit in the red zone four or five times, uh, and they only walk away with two field goals. Giants. Um, I think that's due in part because they don't have enough good offensive pieces right now. Um, but I think the second part is the um, that the Browns red zone deep really picked it up. Um, so shout out to Cleveland for uh, an amazing performance on both sides of the ball. Shout out to Giants for uh, actually establishing a good game plan against one of the strongest run teams in the league. Um, but they just Colt McCoy is not the answer that they need. They should have sat Daniel Jones for another week, but because he was out this week, it could have been a different game. We don't know. But that being said, um, they need to get more pieces. Um, I look forward to kind of seeing this Giants team and seeing them a little more competitive with a healthy Saquon and healthy DJ. But, um, yeah, there's no other thing to really talk about, for me at least. Shout out to Baker Mayfield. 
for taking control of this game against a good defense when his run game isn't getting much going. On a big setting, under the bright lights on Sunday Night Football, a national showcase for the Cleveland Browns in primetime. And the Browns, shout out to you guys because you got a 10-win season, my friends. And without getting too far ahead of ourselves, at the bare minimum, an 11-win season um, seems very much in your future. Um, without getting too far ahead of yourselves, because I don't know if the same mistake uh, or lightning will strike twice, um, if you're implying what I'm getting at for uh, next week's game, if you know what the schedule is. But, um, yeah, Cleveland, I'm very impressed. Baker Mayfield, and I guess maybe he's now shown that maybe he is the guy, despite some doubt. Um and yeah, the Giants' playoff hopes just took a really big hit. They got to go to Baltimore now, which if they lose and Washington wins, it's all over. So, and that pretty much sums up week 15. It's in, well, not in the books yet. There's actually a game unfolding now that I don't even know the score of. But um, yeah, for the most part, week 15 has been wrapped up. And we're now heading into week 16. But before we do, we got to go over our playbook discussion of the week for week 15. Um, do you want me to take it? or? Well, I, I do want to highlight that this playbook discussion of the week is um, old is the new. You know, looking, we're looking at some of these players. We talked earlier about how Frank Gore, you know, spent so much, has spent so much time in the league. And he's still producing you have Matthew Stafford who's been in the league for quite some time as well and he still has the heart to play for the Lions which I think was still probably the most passionate Lions player um and you could talk about all of these players that have really shown um some not just some great heart but show that even though they're older they're producing in the league and I think these two you can talk about um, to, I know one of them is, is not not the biggest fan of, uh, neither am I. But these are two good comeback um, comeback moments for them. Yeah, well, uh, I'll start with um, Des Bryant because what a feel good story, and um, I I know that uh, just on a personal level for the both of us really because um, you being a Cowboy fan, obviously, and. Um, me, because actually my uh, jersey number, when I uh, kind of made the switch to a skill position, I uh, wore 88 because of uh, Des Bryant was uh, actually why. And I actually have a Des Bryant jersey from uh, his rookie year, which was, um, I believe, the 50th anniversary of the Cowboys season yeah. when they had that little uh, sticker badge on their jersey. Um, so I've been a huge fan of his since he got into the league. Um I, I'm so happy for him to catch this touchdown pass. And after three years was his last touchdown reception. Like, just such a huge moment for him, and I'm happy for him. And uh, if the Ravens are to make the playoff by, uh, you know, whatever grace of uh, God <laughs> deems that so, um, he'll be the guy that I'm most happy for because it just – you know, extends his season and gives him more time to uh, go out and do his thing that he's been so patiently waiting at the bits for. 
and um, good for Dez. And if you have anything to say about Dez, or do you want to say anything about the other guy? Um, I, I would like to talk about Antonio Brown, actually. Antonio Brown got his first touchdown um, with on a connection from Tom Brady. Uh, for those that don't know, he was picked up by the Bucks. But the uh, big, and which is actually funny when you think about it, because I believe last year he was picked up by Tampa Bay, but made nothing of it. Um, but I do want to talk about this in a personal uh, personal note. Uh, mental health awareness comes near and dear to my heart. And um, he was clear, clearly dealing with mental health issues, whether you can say it was rooted in some sort of narcissism. But it definitely you can definitely tell that there was something that he was dealing with. And um, sometimes it's hard for us as fans of the game. Not even just uh, not even just us as commentators and podcasters, but even just diehard fans of NFL or any level of football, um, for us to remove the player from the person. Um, we know he's has said and done some stupid things, but we don't understand the context behind that, right? You know, with all the issues we see with CTA and all the issues that we see with a lot of these mental uh, health issues slowly becoming rampant. We talked about it a lot. Um, and one of the passionate moments for me with um, Des, um, Dak Prescott's injury, you know, because he has advocacy for an advocacy for suicide awareness and depression after the loss of his brother, um, which is near and dear to my heart as well. I think someone coming in after suffering as much as he did, you can argue and say, oh, you know, he wasn't suffering too bad because he's a millionaire, but you don't minimize people's issues because of their wealth, because of their status, because of this. He was struggling in one way or another. And the fact is, he came in here, he got his first touchdown, he feels, he felt super happy and just blessed to kind of be on the field um, and to make an impact. And I feel like that's needs to be said at you know with when you look here antonio brown you say what an awful person this that the other thing and you say that about a lot, a lot of players um some players are deserving of it some are not some players have had moments that define their lives um or actions that have but um at its core learning to separate the player from the game and recognize it so that like you know, who we are as people transcends football. You know, you, we can be as angry as we want at, you know, um, as a Jets fan, being angry at Sam Darnold for winning them the game or Sean McVay for losing them the game. <laughs> but um, we can be angry at, you know, players performing, underperforming, or things that they do that, you know, the subtleties of on and off field um, sometimes there are things that need to be addressed in this week, but at its core, um, I still think Antonio Brown's a feel-good story because he's a person who did struggle and found way, his way back onto the field after the struggle, made an impact, and hopefully can keep himself on the right path with the right help. Yeah, and I think that um, I'm glad that uh, you uh... – really hit home with that uh, kind of message because I think it's important to remind people of the bigger picture here and that although it's easy to see these titans on your TV screen and to think um, you know that they're invincible and they've got everything going right that we don't know what happens um, in their heads or behind closed doors so I think that uh, 
the message here is that sometimes and or more importantly, things are uh, bigger than football. Yep. And uh, we, we could close uh, week 15 on that note and now uh, transition now into my favorite time of the week, which is uh, the rapid fire for the following week's games. And wow, two more weeks. Can't believe it. Um, yeah, so we could start with um, we're privileged. Well, actually, let me point out first, there's no more Thursday night football, folks. I don't know who's upset, who's happy, but just spread the message. There's no more Thursday night football for this season. Um, but we're actually privileged to get Friday night football on Christmas, which is a pretty big game. And it's a playoff grudge match, actually, from a few playoff matchups over the last uh, decade or so um, between the Vikings and the Saints, who Vikings holding on to their Slim playoff hopes that if they lose, it's officially over. And the Saints are still trying to hold on to their chance of getting the one seed. But not only that, clinch their division. I'm going to take the Saints to get their revenge here for the last two uh, heartbreaking playoff losses and uh, take the division here. Uh, I believe Saints definitely made a statement against Kansas City for their victory this week. Yeah, honestly, it wouldn't shock me if they come out and actually uh, decisively win this game. Yeah. Tampa Bay. Oh, and uh, by the way, guys, we're now second week in a row privileged again to get Saturday football. This time it's a triple header. Um, Tampa Bay at Detroit. If Tampa Bay wins, they um, clinch a playoff spot. And side note that I just want to point out before predicting this game, this doesn't tie into my pick. But Bruce Arians said in the media today that this game's a hat and t-shirt game. I didn't know you had hats and t-shirts for clinching a playoff spot. Like, okay, I don't know. That was kind of uh, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but I'm gonna take Tampa Bay despite that comment. Yeah, I mean Bruce Arians has somehow made himself so terribly unlikable in the last year. But you have you can't. You can't vote against these bucks most of the time, so I'm going to have to go with Tampa Bay as well. Mm. Uh, the 4 o'clock game for the Saturday triple header is San Francisco, Arizona. And another side note, sorry for the side notes, but this game's actually not on TV, folks. It's only viewable on Twitch and Amazon Prime. Kind of a uh, weird situation, but hey, NFL's got to... Uh, you know, make their bucks somewhere. So, but that being said, this is actually technically a neutral game because San Francisco has <laughs> been playing, playing in this stadium the last uh, three weeks. So I'm actually going to take uh, the Cardinals in this game. Uh, I'm going to say Cardinals, but people don't understand that. I wouldn't try to find a way to watch this game because as much as it seems like it's going to be a boring game, this could also be the make or break for the Cardinals for getting into the playoffs and it is a divisional rivalry, so you can't write off the 49ers. Especially That's... because I got to say that C.J. Beathard might actually start this game. So and that's going to be a huge, huge uh, turning point for... Hey, Sh- Chicago, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Get on Twitch or Amazon Prime. You need this game more than you think. <laughs> um. And then the night game, which I'm definitely going to be watching, is Miami at Las Vegas. 
I'm taking Miami. I mean, Raiders have not done anything to prove themselves as going downhill. But like I said, if we have a Mariota uh, to a match, then we have the entire state of Hawaii tuning in. Uh, this is the 8.30 match Eastern Standard Time, which means it will be a 2.30 match in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> so, no, I no, actually, I believe it's five hours. So it will be a 3.30. So uh, hopefully you got nothing planned uh, in the middle of your boxing day. <laughs> New York Giants at Baltimore Ravens. Taking the Ravens. Um, Ravens, no doubt. But any given Sunday does apply here. But yes, Atlanta Falcons at the Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs to lock up the one seed. I mean, if Falcons win this, they will hands down be the most confusing team in the NFL this year. But I'm, it's going to be Chiefs. There's no way. And I'm going to have to eat my words soon. I, I know it's going to happen. <laughs> this next game is actually huge. Because I just want to highlight it. This is a revenge game because it's Ron Rivera facing his former team that shipped him out and with a division uh, title probably on the line here if you win. Um, And if you would have told people a while back that the NFC East would be decided in the Carolina-Washington football team game in week 16 of the season, I don't know what... uh, <laughs> you know, but anyways, um, I'm gonna take Washington here at home. Um, I mean, it's gonna be hard because if if you have Washington perform like their front four perform like they did last game, it's gonna be you're not gonna be able to do much. Um, and you have a Panthers team that could win, but I don't think their front four is gonna slip up like they did this last game. It could be an interesting game, though, because um, if Alex Smith isn't going, we could actually potentially see another upset. But I'm just going to take Washington because I think they have a lot more on the line. But Cleveland at the Jets. Lightning's not striking twice. I'm taking Cleveland. Um, I would like to see an uh, 11-4 Cleveland, personally. So... Yep. Chicago at Jacksonville. I'm taking Chicago. Um, Chicago and uh, tank for Trevor for the Jags. Jags, you got you got something good. Please don't mess it up, please. So your own sake and for mine. All right. Um, <laughs> Cincinnati at Houston. I'm taking Houston. Um, you know what? I'm taking Houston as well, but this. <laughs> Texans haven't been able to seal it. I mean, you're talking about Cincinnati, but still, the Texans have not been able to seal some games, and I wouldn't surprise it. I'm going Houston, but don't be surprised if Bengals pull off their well, – this would be their third win if they won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A huge game next, Indianapolis at Pittsburgh. I'm taking the Colts. Uh, you know what? This will be the Steelers' second game, or f- first or second game against a winning team. Yeah. Uh, and the first one, they barely went out. Uh, this Colts defense against that offense, you know, 
it, I don't think it's good. I'm going to go with Colts as well. Don't, I would be surprised to see them uh, pull out the W. Mm. Denver at the L.A. Chargers. Mm, I'm going to take the Chargers. I actually have the Chargers as well, but, um, just because I feel that um, with how good Justin Herbert is and with all the missing corners that the uh, that the Broncos have, it's going to be a field day. And we might also see, depending how this week goes, if Justin Herbert wins Rookie of the Week this year, Week 16 might be also the year that Justin Herbert – depending on how good he plays against the Broncos, once again, these two things withstanding, might tie Ben Roethlisberger's record as most number of Rookie of the Weeks in a season. Mm-hmm. Philly at Dallas. I'm actually going to take Philly in this game. I have Philly, and um, unfortunately that means Cowboys will be out. But with all the defensive injuries that we had last game, um I, I don't think uh, – I think Jalen Hurts puts the hurts on us. Something to point out, though, is that both these teams will know before the game even kicks off what they have on the line. Because if Washington loses, you have both these guys fired up. But if Washington wins, then I don't know what the energy level is going to be like. So that 1 o'clock window means a lot for this game. But still taking Philly regardless. And the next game is a de facto NFC West championship game. <sighs> L.A. Rams at Seattle Seahawks. You know, through thick and thin, I ride with uh, my team. So I'm picking us to win. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm going to actually have to go with Seattle on this. Um I think, you know, Rams put up a better game, but I think Seattle just has the momentum carrying them. Another huge game as well on Sunday night. We're privileged. And I, we sat in this spot four months ago and highlighted this game and said how big of an impact it would have, most likely. And lo and behold, it does. Tennessee at Lambeau Field, Green Bay, on a Sunday night. I'm taking Tennessee. So I'm have Tennessee, but I'm just thinking because of how poorly the Packers played last game. I do want to highlight the Tennessee's defense real quick. They are actually bottom six on defense in the NFL, um, and they have one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. They av- they're averaging about 390 yards a game, which I mean is rookie numbers for um, <laughs> you know a on fire and Rodgers. Um, the Packers also have a top 10, I believe, run defense. But it all depends if Derrick Henry can establish the run and they can use up a ch- chunk up a lot of the time uh, with, between Tannehill and Henry. Um, I think the Titans have this. Yeah, I think that the Titans are just going to control the tempo and kind of just run the Packers out of the building, honestly. Yeah. Um. And then that leaves us for Monday Night Football, which is Buffalo at New England. Take a Buffalo. Isn't that such a sweet thing? Uh, just a week after Buffalo clinches and you, you get to celebrate your next game of clinching after clinching over a team that has dominated you for the last 20 years? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd say so. 
Uh, and I just, I feel low key that Josh Allen just wants to light them up. Um, they might because if you think about it, the, the night before Pittsburgh, uh, if they lose, Buffalo wins that game against New England. Buffalo hops into the two. Oh, that is a big one. Yeah. That's, and if they hop into the two, then that means they will be versing Miami. I, and that's a good matchup right there. That is a great matchup. Honestly, if you're talking about a wild card divisional, uh, a wild card, yeah, a wild card divisional game from two teams that are super exciting to watch. So not, not, not only that, but you're looking at it right now, which at the moment Buffalo would be playing Indianapolis round one. Um, that's, that's a that's, tough matchup. Would you rather see? Indianapolis or potentially Miami or Baltimore around one. I think I would take the latter on that one because yeah. most most likely if Buffalo holds on to the three, they're going to play whoever is the runner-up in the AFC South, which is either way is not a good look, you know. Yeah. The last you time know. Tennessee last time Tennessee um, was um, you know in the playoffs, they kind of had an impact. So and right. The Colts are nothing to scoff at defensively. Yeah, well, and uh, that wraps up another week. I am more than excited to see how Week 16 unfolds. I feel like Week 16 is probably the biggest week of the season because Week 17, you kind of get uh, some matchups that might not mean a whole lot. So this is going to be the biggest week of the season, bar none. And um, that concludes another week. And hope you all have a great Christmas. And um, don't overdose on some cookies. Um, Okay. Yeah, so I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one, guys.